Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 16, 15 minutes from 2001. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. With us today, we have a very special guest. This is someone... So let me... I'm, I'm, I want to set the stage. This is someone I've, we've never talked to before. No. In person or online. Here, here's how I found this person. So I was watching the Village People film Can't Stop the Music. I looked on Letterboxd and I was like, who in the world has this as their t- one of their top four films? And I found this guy... And I, I, I don't know. We didn't talk about how to pronounce your name. Is it pronounced how it looks? Is it Austin Wolf Southern? Yes. All right. Easy enough. Yeah. So I found this guy, Austin Wolf Southern, and I clicked on his profile. And not only did he have Can't Stop the Music, which is a wonderful film. One of the top four movies of all time. Crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> but he also had maybe, I think, Vampire's Kiss or a Cage mm-hmm. film, I think. He had Spring Breakers, which might be one of my favorite movies. But then, Mike, yeah. what sealed the deal was he also had Flying, a.k.a. Dream to Believe, in his oh. top four. And I was like, I don't know who this person is, but he gets it. He loves the same <laughs> movies that we do, and we need to be movie friends. And so with us today, to talk about 15 minutes, we have Austin Wolf Southern. Hello, Austin. Hi. Thanks for having me. So first question, how did you develop such immaculate movie taste? How, how did I develop it? <laughs> I just have great taste. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Okay, so a better question is, how did you find Flying? That was a movie that I think a friend of mine just rented it, I think because of Keanu. Okay, yep. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't think he was consciously going through like every Keanu movie, but it was one he just came across in the video store and saw that he was in it. So he rented it and then told me about it. And then I, <laughs> and then I rented it and watched it over and over again <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's so much fun and such an a like unbelievable 80s movie like it's like 80s perfection and just so watchable and rewatchable and an incredible film and so underrated <laughs> yeah i know joey and i were completely caught off guard with that one um like first off it was it has like several titles to it too so mm-hmm. you know right we tracked down a couple different copies I mean, I didn't know what to expect. You know, it's like a gymnast film is sort of what it's like marketed as, but it's so much more than that. Like, it's one of my favorite all-time like high school films, I think, that exists yeah. out there, too. We were just like blown away. <laughs> uh, that episode is probably one of our longest Keanu Club episodes that we did. And we talked <laughs> yeah. about it literally last week because we covered Sweet November for this podcast. And in both Flying and Sweet November as Keanu movies, they both have tremendous hot dog scenes and so we brought it up again last week so i feel like aside from or along with man of tai chi flying is the movie that i think we referenced the most from keanu's filmography just because those were the two delightful surprises Mm -hmm. one uh, sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum but also both very rewatchable and i'm just so glad that we found someone else who appreciates the finer things in life and now that I'm looking at your letterbox, I remember the fourth film, it wasn't Vampire's Kiss at the time, it was Sleepaway Camp. And I was like, yes, Ooh, absolutely. Oh, right. That's it. Again, another one of these movies that I feel like not enough people know about, but as soon as you show people, like, Mike, I showed that to Joe, too, and he's like, he's like, what the fuck is this movie? Like, where has this been? Like, why have you not told me about this? I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I thought I would have, because, like, it is the best. It also has still maybe my favorite line in any movie ever, eat shit and die, Ricky, Eat shit and live, Bill. <laughs> that is the best line that's ever been penned in any form, film or otherwise. Uh, again, I just want to say, we do not know what Austin thinks of Charlize or of this movie or anything else, but in terms of his favorite films, what he's saying to the world, hey, these are my films. Oh, also, one other thing. Sorry to keep talking about so much about you and not really to you. His picture on Letterboxd is of it. Cage from Zondali. So, I mean, if that's not Ooh, enough... Okay, yes. This, this guy has... He checks off all the boxes to be a expert correspondent for us on our podcast because I feel like whenever we find a <laughs> hidden gem, one movie that we want to recommend to you, I don't know if you've seen it, Austin, mm-hmm. the only other movie that I think approaches this that we've covered, Mike, you might know where I'm going with this, is one of Shia LaBeouf's very first films, this movie called oh. Monkey Business which you need to see, if you have not, you need to see this immediately. Because along with all these other movies, it's a movie that Mike and I were so delighted to find. And it's one of these ones where just like, 
everyone needs to see this movie. Mm, yeah, and another one that we were sort of dreading, maybe, at first, not sure what mm-hmm. we were getting ourselves into, and then, like, thrilled by the end. And it's only about 99 cents on Amazon, so <laughs> we tell everybody, just pay up. <laughs> Go check okay. that out. <laughs> I haven't seen Monkey Business. Is it Shia hanging out with a monkey? So a monkey is barely in the movie. Okay. They're more or, le- more or less, they're up to some monkey business. It's a childhood gang who's also really good at tech, and they're trying to take down ninja. I think it's really about the production value. The production value is what sells it. There are the best fonts, the best sound effects. Pretty much every decision across the board is immaculate. Okay, but the monkey's barely in. The monkey's barely in the movie. That's what. That's the old. Okay. That's the. That's the one question Mike and I that's had. That's a little it. disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> so to bring it back to where we are today, uh, I know you've seen obviously a lot of great movies. In terms of Charlize movies, in terms of Charlize as an actress, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to stretch out this intro as long as we can because this movie, she's in one scene, and I will say right up front that she did it as a thank you to the director, the writer-director John Herzfeld, for casting her in her breakout film, Two Days in the Valley, which is basically the same movie except on the West Coast instead of the East Coast. So before we get to talking about 15 Minutes... Austin, what do you, in terms of you and Charlize, do you like her? Do you not like her? Are you indifferent to her? Favorite movies? Kind of between like her and indifferent. I've never focused on her career or or paid that much attention to it. But if I look at her filmography, I mean, she makes some cool choices and some good choices. I thought she was great in Fate of the Furious. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some good movies in her career, but she's not someone I gravitate towards. She's definitely not someone I would personally want to go through the entire filmography of but she's solid well you know here we are just over a third of the way through and i feel like mike and i are like should Mm -hmm. we have done her like should we have gone through this because it is (laughs) why did you choose her so we chose ben affleck who is of note because i feel like the arson investigator in this movie they couldn't afford affleck and they got this guy who looks and (laughs) acts like ben affleck Uh, ed burns yes who who ends up getting burned yes I, i made that note we, and that is, uh, of course, we'll we'll get to that because that is the most convenient. Hey, who can deal this fire? Oh, it's an arson investigator. Okay, cool. Got it. I didn't think of that. Yeah, Ed Burns should only play <laughs> arson investigator. <laughs> we did Cajun Keanu. We did Shia on the side. Then we did Ben Affleck. We, we wanted to keep doing these actors who the internet tends to hate or love for the wrong reasons and basically figure out are they worth mocking or do they have good stuff for cage mm-hmm. without a doubt it's he's got so many good films so many great films yeah. that nobody know about mm-hmm. for keanu it was more difficult but we're like hey if he falls into one of these like two or three different roles these type of roles like a cop yeah. or a burnout or a villain now <laughs> He's probably pretty good. He's great at being typecast, Keanu. Yeah. We picked Ben Affleck, and we recorded one episode, and then within the span of about 36 hours, three news stories came out that made us feel kind (laughs) of icky about him. Sure. And we were like... Uh, let's not. And so, Later, yeah. Mike and I were trying to figure out who to do next, and we were saying we wanted to do a, a woman. Well, because yeah, because we time. were we were nervous mm. that if we picked any other guy, something was going to come out about them, and we were going to like have to start from scratch again. So, not to say that you know women can't abuse power in Hollywood too, but pretty much across the spectrum, mm. everything that's come out in the last several months has been against men. We felt more comfortable going with a woman, and so we we narrowed the list from like twenty down to like six. And then we mm-hmm. sent along, sent around a little survey for the people who are frequent guests. We're like, who would you like the most see us do? Who would you like the most be a part of? And pretty overwhelmingly, the choice was Charlize Theron. And so we're like, okay, <laughs> cool. Like She's got a lot of good movies. You know, we're excited to do this. She won an Oscar. She's going to be in Mad Max, Atomic Blonde, all this different stuff. Like, she's great. And here we are, around the same point, number of films-wise, number of episodes-wise, as Keanu, where he's dredging through all these high school movies she is in all these sort of like generic crime thrillers or mm-hmm. movies where she's sort of relegated to the background and we know good stuff is coming but here we watched a real rough two-hour film for a minute <laughs> and a half of her as thankfully not an escort but a woman who runs an escort service so i like that she has a she got yeah. stepped up in the world from where i thought because when they called the check escort i was like please don't let it be Charlize, please and it wasn't I was, well, like, it was her on the it was her on the phone but it was i, her voice I, on the I phone. didn't recognize her voice there oh okay okay and i wasn't sure if you're gonna recognize her because of her hair is so extremely different her hair like is extremely different movie. in the movie <laughs> but then when we get to her office i guess 
but sort of her feels loft. like an apartment. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, She's the madam, Madam Theron, right? Yep. <laughs> um, so that's why we did Charlie's, because we were going to do Ben Affleck. Okay. Because we felt that yeah. he fit into our thesis statement of, like, the internet hates him. Does he have good movies that people don't know about? And then after we were going to do him, we were going to do Mark Wahlberg. But that got scrapped, too, just because we're afraid of, like, similar sort of things well, there. Although, I don't yeah. know, has anything come out against Mark Wahlberg or no? I mean, he blinded a Chinese guy when he was a teenager. That's true. He did do that. <laughs> but that's, yeah, and that's old news. And then the, there was, like, the pay gap thing for the reshoots of all the money in the world he wanted mm-hmm. like a million bucks for that but i think he eventually ended up donating it to a good cause so who knows he might eventually come back into our good graces but it's going to be a while i think we're more or less going to go down the line of people we want to cover as opposed to whether they're good or bad i don't know mm-hmm. time will tell there's there's a list a mile long that we have like in the background so who are some of the other actresses that were in your your top five or top the final six? six were sort of in order of how people wanted to do them it was like charlize and then tilda and then oh, okay. Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara was last. Like nobody except for us wanted to do. Rooney I think Mara. we just threw that on. Yeah, <laughs> I still really would like to do a Rooney Mara. Podcast, oh yeah, but, she does. Know. We think she deserved to be on the list. With the, our friends were sort of like, wait, what? <laughs> I think you should do both Maras. I think you should throw Kate. Yeah, that was a about that. concept yep. too. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And there were two others. Who are the other two that I'm trying to bring up the spreadsheet now? Oh, Kirsten Dunst. And Scarlett Johansson, and okay. I just I just rewatched uh, Eternal Sunshine. I'm like, oh god, we really need to do Kirsten Dunst because she's great in that movie. Uh, she's great in everything. And like the on the other hand, though, what's really sort of difficult about doing these podcasts and quote unquote difficult because it's not difficult at all is that like. <laughs> Anytime you go through an actor's filmography, there's going to be bad movies. And I feel like with Cage, there were really, really, really very few that were like, ugh. I mean, now it's a little bit of a different story, but now we're so starved mm-hmm. for Cage content that, like, <laughs> we're going to watch an Arsenal and not completely hate it just because we're like, oh, hey, we haven't had a Cage movie in a couple months. Like, let's just, you know, enjoy this as much as we can. But here, like, you know, for both Keanu and for Charlize, we're, we get into these, like, dozen movie long stretches where it's like where is the redeeming quality to these right and where is the actor in question also i mean keanu went through a stretch a little later on after he sort of hit it became like into the you know after the matrix i think or or after he got big like he did a string of movies where we watched him and he basically had roles like this like walk on cameos or something like that and that was really frustrating too like cage never was at that level he was just the star and he uh sort of maintained that level for a really really long time and like joey said now it just doesn't matter whatever he's in i don't care i just need it i just have to consume <laughs> consume as much as possible but uh, yeah it's it has it's been a little frustrating a little bit along the way with charlise just in terms of not just quality of film but quality of role as well yeah it seems like it will pick up though once she becomes like a big deal because we're two years away we said this last week but we're two years away from monster like we're real close to her winning an oscar and i I can see like this was probably an afternoon of shooting and she got to you know hang out with the nero again after he was in men of honor with her whether they were married in men of honor so that's kind of cool i can see why she does this as a thank you but like if we had done literally any research about this movie we would have probably (laughs) skipped it or tacked it on what infuriates me is that she's second build on letterboxd (laughs) that's not accurate and i think that's another point to why the movie database is so inferior to imdb because that's all like community driven and i guess because she's the second biggest name in this they put her behind de niro but on imdb Mm. she's like 10th or 12th because she's in a scene and she's recognizable and she has lines but she's nowhere near like she is in this in this movie as much as roseanne is and roseanne is (laughs) her tv show on a tv in this world like they are equivalent <laughs> and yet Charlie's is second and Rosanna's like tenth or something, so yeah. I don't know. And maybe it's just another part of the favor, you know. It's like I'll even give you top billing, you know. <laughs> It'll be great for my movie because it's kind of junk. So, <laughs> you know, people will, will trick them to come watch it. Did either of you catch Anton Yelchin in this movie? Apparently he's credited. I oh, don't know where he is. I saw that he was in it. He's I th- He's the I boy in the fire. Yeah, I could have. I was oh. like, that cannot be him. I convinced myself that wasn't him, but my mind sort of snapped. I, I thought it was, but thank you for confirming well, that. Well, you were right. Yeah, awesome. I just saw it in the credits. I didn't recognize him. Because I said Chekhov, and then I was like, no. 
but yeah. There's a lot of people, because I was looking on IMDb, and I was like, oh, there's Vera Farmiga, and Vera Farmiga actually has like a kind of mm-hmm. meaty role, sort of. In she took movie. me forever to recognize as well. Yeah. Like, oh, well, Until my... she started speaking, I guess. Well, I didn't recognize her from the drawing, but as soon as she showed up, I was like, oh, I know her, because <laughs> as I talked about on our Henry's Crime episode, the Farmiga oh, right. family grew up in my town, and so I went to school with her brother, and I have seen oh. her in a bunch of things, and I was like, oh, there's my friend who I've never met, Vera Farmiga, so... <laughs> But Kim Cattrall's in this movie for like a scene and a mm-hmm. half. Uh, Roseanne Barr is credited, but never actually in the movie. Anton Yelchin, I was like, oh, there's a bunch of people in here. And then like none of them actually like have any kind of significance. It's pretty much De Niro, Ed Burns, and Kelsey Grammer, kind of, and Vera Farmiga, kind of. And then those two immigrants who are just yeah. abysmal. They're the stars of the movie. It's really their movie. Like, I don't even think... De Niro and Ed Burns deserve top billing. It's those guys. <laughs> Joey, we've got a real trial and error situation here where, it, you know, we went into that movie thinking it was um, a Jeff Daniels comedy, and it turns out it, it, it was a Kramer movie. It was a Michael Richards film in disguise. Yep. And that's kind of what happened here. Like, I thought it was De Niro and Ed Burns, and yeah, it's these two other guys. What? <laughs> but yeah, so this is a movie, bringing it back to, I guess, earlier Charlize movies, we bring it back to trial, and now we're going to bring back even further to Two Days in the Valley, written and directed by John Herzfeld, who did Two Days in the Valley, again in this movie, introduces a woman by showing her dead and bloodied and sort of naked in a photograph. Although in this movie, she's actually dead. But I was like, this guy loves introducing women via photograph. He's got a fetish for it, yeah. They're on the East Coast, it's not the West Coast. So this is sort of like, if you wondered where Danny Aiello's character came from in Two Days in the Valley... Here's that world. It's the same world where the mm-hmm. music that opens this movie, I was like, is this supposed to be funny? Because the, the music, like, is right on that edge of, like, kooky, kind of, but also kind of suspenseful. And I'm like, I don't know what they're going for. What I was talking about with Mike last night is that, like, it's an example, again, of how this guy just does not know how to do tone at all across the board in pretty much any facet. Yeah, the tone of this movie is nuts. Because these guys, I think the bad guys are supposed to be comic relief. Like, they act like a Euro-thug Abbott and Costello. <laughs> yes. Who are just, like, always arguing with each other in, like, really goofy ways. Yeah, the music is kind of goofy and kooky, but then they do horrific things. I mean, you're not supposed to laugh at the horrific things, but it's moments later that they're, like, being kind of adorable again. It's <laughs> real strange and uh, real great, really <laughs> <laughs> so good. Real drastic tonal shifts uh, that are super jarring. I mean, they got me laughing at one point. I mean, it's it's yeah. super strange though because like you're right, at the end of the movie, I feel like you're supposed to be on their side. Like when the one guy gets arrested and he's like selling his book rights or movie rights, I think the movie wants you to be like, good for him. Well, yeah, they turn on each other, and you're supposed mm-hmm. to. So yeah, are you supposed to take a side? Like they're both despicable. And then the other guy who's filming the whole thing tries to like go straight at the very end of the movie and it's like movie like i'm not gonna go with him just because of that like he is just as bad as the other guy for filming everything yeah he's not trying to go straight he's just trying to get back at the first guy because he's mad at him for taking his director credit (laughs) so he's not even being noble at the end he's just doing it out of spite oh he's doing it purely out of spite yeah because they had that that argument about directing because he wants it to be his movie they're like coming into the country and a guy they're just trying to slip in through security and the and the one man the one guy is like i guess like i don't know how to refer i don't remember their names i guess like the the fatter guy one's oleg and one is oleg Oleg and emil but i don't know who's who okay oleg is the guy who's filming okay so like oleg goes into this whole thing about frank capra and it's a wonderful life and all this bullshit and and i was definitely like this is a comedy and then he even steals the camera and i'm like okay this is kind of funny like they're gonna go around like shooting this sort of illegal movie like sort of documentary maybe about their trip or something no (laughs) like i mean it is like an illegal sort of documentary about their trip but it's like it turns into like yeah just like a super gory violent they're making a snuff film that's it yeah i couldn't put my finger on which is then bought by basically hardball like it's based it bought by you know (laughs) like entertainment tonight or something which then airs the snuff film in its entirety at the hard rock cafe yeah at a family restaurant yeah they have a viewing party at 
<laughs> like we do have to make note because I had to look it up on Wiki because I was like, what the fuck is this guy's plan? So his plan is basically sort of double jeopardy plus every cliche of every movie ever. Well, he's always watching TV and like learning tips about how to make it in America. <laughs> His plan is to murder De Niro, go to trial for it, plead insanity, go to an insane asylum, then say, haha, I've been sane this whole time, be let go from the insane asylum, and then won't be allowed to be charged again with the murder because he was already charged. Which is a crazy plan, but in this movie works like it works way better than it should <laughs> well does it they never really get to trial no but well, he's it's got a working lawyer who's though like firmly on his side it seems like it's going to work but we don't mm-hmm. see it work he never gets that far yeah he's shot on his way to i guess to the nut house they skip around a lot of stuff but i need i think we need yeah. to talk about de niro quickly before we get to de niro i want to talk about the end okay while we're on the end this guy who ed burns who is maybe ben affleck i feel is also if they made this today would be ryan reynolds i feel like it's kind of the end <laughs> maybe ryan of, reynolds like five or six years yes, ago pre- like Deadpool, ryan reynolds yeah. era of like smoking aces which i have not seen <laughs> in a decade <laughs> But I feel like it has the same kind of end. Like, he's just, like, this sort of disgruntled cop or just, like, wants to take it into his own hands or lays down his weapon. Like, whatever it is. This Ed Burns looks like a cross between Ben Affleck and Ryan Reynolds. But, like, with the charm or acting ability of neither? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he. I mean, I, I know. I like his one movie. The name's escaping. I think it's... Um... Brothers something. Yeah, him. It's about him and their brothers, and uh, she's the one. I think it's called. She's the one, and Judd Apatow's wife is in it or something. But I mean, like he can't be good. I feel like he's all right. I feel like he's out of his league, though. Like he, I find, is much more of just like an indie actor. He's more. I know him as a director, actually. But uh, this is way out of his depth. Like him and De Niro. Like no. Like you. I mean, De Niro's not even. I don't even feel like he's trying in this movie. I mean, if compared to Men of Honor which he was just killing it in. This is just a paycheck, it feels like. He doesn't know what exactly to do. But yeah, Ed Burns is out of his league. Before we talk about De Niro, before we continue that train of thought, because I do want to talk about him because I don't think he's trying. And I think from the very first scene we see him in where he's dunking his head in a, a sink of ice water, which is apparently something that you know police officers and detectives used to do to cure hangovers. I want to say that this movie cost $60 million to make, even though we know Charlie's made $0 on it, grossed in America 24 and another 30 worldwide. So even if you don't add any marketing budget, did not make his money back. I also feel like this is a very clear example of a pre-9-11 movie. Like, I feel like they wouldn't oh, be able to make right this right before movie. 9-11. Because it came yeah, out, it came out early pre-9-11. Yeah. Yeah, March 2001. Yeah, there's Crazy no way they could have made this movie after 9-11, or if they did, it would have been, like, you know, Middle Eastern terrorists instead of just, like, vaguely European guys. Like, there's so many things here that, like, wouldn't fly just six months later. I was like, this is, feels weird, because like, we're right around that time. And it feels weird. Yeah, I mean, I also was actually blown away by some of the production value of this, like the, some of the shots. And it's like, I feel like you couldn't even shoot some of these sequences nowadays with all the rules and laws and going on. Like there was, you know, fireballs, like they closed streets and stuff and did like, you know, blocks on fire. Like it's pretty, pretty impressive. Like a lot of some of the like stunts and look of this movie and everything. It's actually too bad that it doesn't come together. But I don't know. I Yeah, knowing that it's right before 9-11, there is this weird sort of like tension sort of going on i guess in the city where it's like look at everything not only like the filmmakers are getting away with but like the story's getting away with and stuff and it's just like of that era and feels it you know what also before again before we get to the nero because i don't know i don't know how much there is to talk about the nero other than just sort of making fun of him for mailing it in but the twist with him surprised me that he's dating the reporter twist or that he gets killed twist that he gets killed halfway through the movie mm-hmm. i was impressed by that i was surprised by the movie's like willingness to go there mm-hmm. other than that i was just like oh huh because it is cool that anytime a movie kills off its main character you're like oh that's okay then what that does is it, it escalates or it elevates ed burns into the lead and like oh this was this was a step down like even de niro not trying <laughs> was able to carry this better yeah. than ed burns yeah I was still impressed by it just because I I definitely didn't see it coming. And I thought his, like, chair fight where he's, like, fighting those guys off while 
taped to the chair was pretty impressive and pretty well done. Yeah, I, my only real issues with him, I mean, if we could if we could just get it out of the way, is just his the actual character, like this concept of a hero cop in the media. Like, I just couldn't buy that in this day and age. Like, that confused the hell out of me. Like, the media and sort of like celebrity and all that is the major theme of the film so you know yeah, fundamentally it, changing De Niro's character is changing the entire point of the movie yeah it's definitely trying to make some sort of commentary on media and exploitation and it constantly feels like it's going to go into I guess like natural born killers style commentary on media and exploiting violent crimes but never quite gets there <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't quite connect. It's like the least incisive commentary on media that they could have done. Well, I feel like the problem there is that like they just cut away from Kelsey Grammer. Like they set up this office with him and Kim Cattrall, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh no, we're in the detec- we're in a detective movie now," and they're not really part of it anymore. Like I feel like if we just follow mm-hmm. the camera crew around, sort of more like I mean, you could still do this movie mostly, but do it more kind of like Nightcrawler, where they're trying to find, but like Nightcrawler, where they have the inside access, right? Like they have this agreement with De Niro or with the precinct or whatever, that, like, they can follow him around, they can film the busts, whatever, whatever. Do that, but, like, follow... If you want it to be a commentary on, like, Natural Born Killers, like you are saying, Austin, which I feel like, for a while, this movie pretends like it wants to be, then stick with them. Don't, like, don't introduce them and then, like, leave them. Yeah, it kind of has too much going on at once, and it, it needed to just stick with one message. Even if it just stuck with the, the Euro thugs, or just stuck with Kelsey Grammer, or just the police, whatever, but all three of them, they never really come together in a satisfying way to make a message that works, or that says anything. Yeah, I, th- I would have much rather followed like the uh, Axis Hollywood guys and then like the, the Euro thugs, because at least they, you would get sort of like a contrast of the guys with like the good equipment doing it legally and then like the people making the news with like their handheld found footage type of stuff and like you could actually see some kind of commentary between that but it's just it doesn't balance there is no balance you're right like yeah it's not well balanced and the found footage stuff like i don't i mean like i feel like it could have worked if they just referred to it a little less but i just kind of got annoyed when the guy just kept turning the camera around and saying like i'm making a movie and stuff and it was just like oof again it's like there's that like in the middle of a murder they're trying to like make a joke or something like that and it's just... yeah well i i loved that <laughs> i love them i mean if the whole movie was all them i would have been all for it and i i love all of their stuff and yeah and it was kind of a weird entry into like the found footage genre because it's not a found footage movie but it has that same like what people always mention in found footage movies is why do they keep filming and i liked seeing that from the other end where you see him like running away from the cops in traffic and he's still filming it like to actually see him holding the camera and be like why is he still filming in this scenario and it kind of answered i guess it answers it is he just wants to be he just wants his 15 minutes and also like he is the worst cinematographer of all time (laughs) well you know who they reminded me of and mike i'm surprised that you haven't said this yet because we were just talking about it last week they reminded me of tommy wiseau in easter a couple eastern europeans coming to america just want to make a real hollywood movie they're coming over here they're obsessed with hollywood they want to do everything they can to make a movie. Uh, they're not good at it. I guess they're <laughs> beloved by some, you know, either the niche audiences in real life or Austin for this movie. But they are they are in some form, uh, at least Oleg is Tommy Wiseau, kind of. Yeah, I mean, like Austin was saying, if it was just these guys, this would have been great. Like, it would have been original and inspired and interesting and an actual comment on like you know the American like a new kind of twist on the American dream where now it's about not only just making a movie like you can come here and do that but also like you can make a we'll make a the whole you could even add that whole crime spree thing twist to it you know it getting out of hand and then like finding out about you know sort of like fixing the trial or whatever and getting away with it and even turning on themselves like there is definitely enough going on here to make something more competent and enjoyable and just maybe we can cut it down i'm sure if you just cut the other stuff out you still have like an hour movie or an hour and 20 minutes or something of just these guys running Mm. around and maybe including outtakes and stuff yeah that thread i thought was pretty strong or at least something i enjoyed there's a brazenness to it of them 
admitting on camera, like Oleg's like, hey, check this guy out. He's the guy who set that fire across the street. It's a real unique, unseen thing where they're making a movie of their crimes and like, it is, I think, the most interesting thing, but I didn't like it because there's just not, there's there's a weird amount. And I feel like that's something that we've said a lot on these podcasts is like, there's no balance to any of this, that there's too mm. many things going on, there's too many threads. And if you just focus on, probably if you focus on any one of them, it's a more competent movie. Not, not necessarily a better movie, although that bar is not really difficult to clear, but like if you just focus on the De Niro stuff, or you just focus on their stuff, or you just focus on the Kelsey Grammer stuff, or you focus on Charlize's crew, and they're some kind of like, <laughs> you know, like Game of Thrones, like the little birds or whatever, that they're just, they're out listening and, you know, reporting back, like, like she is Varys of this world. Like, I don't know why he felt the need, other than the same reason he did in Two Days in the Valley, where you have like, six different threads going on like hey this is how we assemble this world it it sort of felt not as much mike like a tarantino sheen black ripoff but sort of like that turn of the century like felt like kind of like a schwarzenegger sort of movie or like uh i I don't know like it's this movie where it's just sort of like big action and he's like we need to show like how big the stakes are by bringing all these different threads in here and then none of them actually really wind up paying off or, like, making any other threads better. Yeah, I I just feel like Mm. he's caught in the middle of Two Days in the Valley, which is just, like, way too many stories going on there. Like, that is just over-the-edge, over-the-top Tarantinoism, sort of reactionary filmmaking to that. Like, oh, I could could be, you know, needlessly complex and cool if I want to. This, which leans to me, again, like I mentioned earlier, something more towards, like, Cobra, which is just, like, this renegade cop. It is literally just like one of the most basic 80 movies out there and it's terrific it's it's wonderful it's just stallone kicking ass and taking names and eating pizza and just all by his own rules this has elements of both of those you know and it's kind of like stuck in the middle i think if he he still can't help himself by like adding extra needless storylines but it's coming from more of like a possibility of being this like clean clear-cut movie in there some it's in there somewhere you know, more so than in Two Days in the Valley. So it's that movie's like Jenga. You remove a block, the whole thing crumbles. But here, <laughs> like, you just need a block, and it will, like, float on its own. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it is. That's insightful. That's There's no better way to put it. That's sort of like, Mike, I feel like we got to a, a Tobin point where, like, Tobin makes a really good point. We're just like, well, can't, can't go on, because that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Two other things I want to say about this movie real quick. There's a line in there when the arson investigator, this might be the first time we see Ed Burns, somebody says to another guy, looks from the 69 position that they was doing each other. And I was like, oh, okay, that's this kind of movie. Okay. But the important thing to me in terms of why we're talking about this movie is that Charlize in her scene speaks Afrikaans. And that's the language that is one of the one of the languages of South Africa, which she speaks fluently according to the internet. It's cool, you know, we've been going through and like a couple movies ago, we talked about how her father character in the movie was shot. You know, she's had teeth problems she's been a model now we have her actually tapping into her south african roots like i feel like we kind of got the bingo of like the things we (laughs) knew about charlie's from her early years her childhood we've seen all of those paid off in movies so like cool yeah that, that is pretty cool i mean we have been tracking it so like we were looking for it we did want it and i'm glad we got it uh it's more so i feel than like other the other guys like with keanu we knew he was into motorcycles and you know eventually uh he got on a motorcycle so that was great <laughs> but she's the only she's like the first subject that we actually kind of like even delved into their background deep before we started like with cage it was sort of well known that he was coppola's uh, nephew and everything like that and keanu is still sort of a mystery about his past and everything <laughs> like i like it that way i prefer to keep it sort of that way and with her yeah we did consciously like go back and look like how did she co- grow up and come to america and all this stuff and and it's just interesting to see how much of her personal life she's been able to like reflect in her movies and art and stuff whether is that just coincidence or she's somehow worked it in it's i like it i think it's pretty interesting yeah i like it in in that context because watching i mean watching the movie as a Charlize theron movie obviously it's disappointing but it's also she's on screen for like 30 seconds and then she's speaking (laughs) in another language untranslated for most Mm -hmm. of it so at least knowing you know i feel a little better knowing that there's something personal attached to it i found the translation let me see if i can bring it up hold on 
It is something like, hello, Mr. Botha, can I call you back? You would never believe who just walked in here. It's Eddie Fleming. Thank you. Goodbye. Did not need to be translated because that is the most generic, right. like, yeah. hey, can't talk right now. Famous guy here. Talk soon. I mean, she says Eddie Fleming in English because that's how you pronounce his name. It, it is weird to see, like, hey, we waited through 40 minutes. We're going to wait another hour and 20 minutes to see if she comes back. Spoiler alert, she does not. Well, I would love to talk about the corpses. 69 Okay, let's let's go back <laughs> to the corpse of 69 then, please. I mean, it's more interesting than David Allen Greer getting handcuffed to a tree, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird side plot as well, but <laughs> I was really interested in why they did that with the, <laughs> the bodies. It's unclear at first because it seems like because at first you're assuming that they put them, they're like trying to free blame from themselves or trying to make it seem like it wasn't arson, like they just caught mm-hmm. on fire and they were so deeply invested in going down on each other that they didn't notice they were on fire. <laughs> it seems like that's what their intent was, was that they, or I don't know, maybe they fell asleep in the 69 position, but whatever, like they, <laughs> they put them in this position and then, but it's obviously arson and the, the investigators, the arson invest, Ed Burns and De Niro both realize it's arson. And then later there's a line about like, they did it to embarrass the people that they killed (laughs) but that doesn't make any sense either like i don't know if that's something that's gonna get back to the home country like did you hear (laughs) these guys got burned up having sex and and i don't know if that's embarrassing (laughs) my personal theory is that they killed the couple and they put him into this sex position because Oleg wanted to have a sex scene in his movie oh i like that like that too yeah i was trying to work it out by like you know the fire inspector's point of view when he finding that being like huh maybe they were choking to death and decided like they wanted to go out going down on each other and they just died in <laughs> between each other's legs like that it's like no man like you're fired like <laughs> <laughs> get ed burns up here the one job that he's like half good at yeah it makes no practical sense but i think my theory works because he wants a you know he wants a movie with sex and violence that's what sells and if he has to use corpses for the sex scene then he'll take what he can get and some people probably pay extra for that too so you never know who your market is going to wind up being yeah it is a snuff film after all <laughs> so that <laughs> he's real tapped into the market it's a real eight millimeter vibe oh definitely some max mm. california some of the machine uh, i have no other notes about mm. this movie i don't want to necessarily jump ahead if we if there's still stuff to talk about but also, do you have anything else in your notes that you wanted to make sure we covered about 15 minutes? I love how much time he spends filming a television. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess there was no, like, VCR in the hotel room, so he couldn't just record it. Well, I feel like that's the same thing. Like, when you go to a concert and people are filming, usually young people, but also sometimes older people, are filming the screens next to the stage. Hey, look, mm-hmm. I'm filming the screen. Or, even more crazy, is that I saw... That Led Zeppelin concert that came out like five years ago, like they did that reunion tour with John Bonham's son, and they put out like a concert DVD of it. And I went to see that in the theater, and people in the theater were filming the screen like they were at a concert. I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just films everything, I guess. I guess it's all relevant because then he'll like cut to his partner, and you can see his partner, like, oh, Americans forgive bad things. Like, he's always like picking up on stuff. So I guess that's just storytelling. So when he gives gives the the tape to Kelsey Grammer I guess he has edited it because the his oh, partner yeah. do that? his partner said something he's like why'd you leave in that line about you being a director and that's what starts their petty fight so I want to know when he shoplifted an editing bay <laughs> Especially since he's recording on like those small tapes with have those have to be put into like a certain type of machine that can then be digitized into the computer and everything or like exactly. you put the camera right up to the computer but you need a computer to edit that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was wondering I was disappointed we didn't get to see him editing the movie. <laughs> but I like that thing at the end where it it shows the credit of like the a film by Oleg. Oh, like I missed he that. Finally I made it. Yeah. Oh, that I I really? I laugh he... so hard, dude. Where he like oh, fake dies so before he really dies. Yeah, and a credit comes on screen. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Happy for him. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a crazy plan that they have, and I don't know. I was kind of fascinated by it and by them. Mike, do you have any other thoughts about fifteen minutes again? 
I want to see if this is true before I generalize saying but something. This is uh, the second movie from John Hertzell that we've done with a number in its title. Yeah, and the only other movie to date that Charlize was in with a number in the title, the only movie she's ever been in with a number in the title are these two John Herzfeld movies. So this guy loves that mm. technique too, I guess. But any of your thoughts about 15 minutes? I did think that it's fun to watch like the, the guys running around the camera now. Like It is a very unorthodox storyline and it's just a shame that it isn't the only storyline I guess like all the other stuff is just so seen it before like all the cop stuff and everything all that kind of thing I don't know I, I just wasn't really into this I had actually thought I had seen this movie before it turns out I had only seen about like a quarter of this movie but 15 minutes of this movie or something <laughs> like that before but like I've seen it all now and man I just kept checking the time and I was just like I can't believe there's an hour left I can't believe there's half an hour left 10 minutes like let's come on so i wish it worked better i wish it was more charlize in there the only thing i don't know i mean unless you're a star trek fan i don't think you're gonna find this interesting i was telling joey last night like my mind was just wandering so far from this while i was watching it but avery brooks who plays de niro's partner is Mm -hmm. in star trek deep space nine and kim cattrall who is uh kelsey grammer's boss was in star trek six the undiscovered country so there's some Trek connection going on, and that definitely, uh, Trek connection that definitely just kept me interested. Uh, I wanted to see maybe Shatner was going to show up or something. <laughs> or, uh, who knew? That's all I got. Well, the, the Eurothug actors, they haven't been in any Star Trek, but Oleg was in a, a movie a couple of years later called 44 Minutes. Oh, huh. Before you came on here, we were, Mike and I were talking, we're like, there's the 88 Minutes movie with uh, Pacino. We're trying to think right. if there's any other movies with numbers and minutes, so 44, too. So that's... I think there's a bunch. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The other guy, Carol Roden, he was an orphan with Vera Farmiga. Oh, oh. That. They got so they were together, together again. And he's great. I mean, both of the thug guys I thought were amazing. You know what I would have liked, and maybe I can weave this into my uh, sequel game when we get to that next, is those two hot European girls online at the TSA uh, or at the, you know, the, 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 <laughs> the very beginning at JFK in the beginning. Mm-hmm. One of them doesn't care, but the other one is like into being filmed or like being taken pictures of. Like, I would have loved for them to come back a couple more times or like team up with them or something. Like, I don't know. So, so the next game we're going to play, Austin, is we're going to pitch a sequel. We have nine different genres. We're going to randomly assign each of us one. So maybe I can tell a movie about the four of them and their wacky adventures or misadventures in the big <laughs> apple. So we will see. So, okay. So, Austin, you're going to go first. We have nine different genres. You are going to get, drumroll please, number three. Okay, okay. So you have to pitch a sequel 15 minutes to, but it's an Oscar bait movie. So it's not necessarily good, but they're making it with the sole intention of having performances and maybe monologues or whatever that are going to drum up Oscar nominations. So if you have to pitch a sequel to 15 minutes and you were making it solely for the purpose of getting Academy Award recognition, Austin, how would you make that movie? Okay. So it's called 16 Minutes. Perfect. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Why is the movie called 15 Minutes? Because everyone... It's 15 Minutes of Fame, right? Yeah, the 15 world. Minutes oh, of Fame. Oh, I didn't even yeah. think about that. Okay. And they say the title in the movie, too, which was exciting to ed burns who is not the character who's searching for his 15 minutes but (laughs) it's obviously about the thugs like trying to get their 15 minutes of fame but ed burns is the one who gets accused of trying to get his 15 minutes so 16 minutes i think would have to focus on charlize because she's the best oscar sure contender Mm -hmm. there's no wrong answers it's just because these movies are never going to happen we're just we were playing a game the first 10 movies where we recast all the main parts Mike and I got burnt out by that. I think we're already starting to get burnt out by this game. We only got four more episodes of this too. Uh, then we're going to have a new game too. We have to figure out, but no wrong answers, just having fun. So 16 minutes a movie about Charlize who runs an escort service. What's this plot about? What's the big Oscar moment? So I have to think of how she becomes the star. Cuz I think the best plot for a sequel is like Oleg's daughter is looking for vengeance or Emil's daughter because that's who Ed Burns shoots and who he murders in the street before (laughs) just just walking away yep (laughs) so Emil's daughter comes to the United States seeking vengeance on Ed Burns I think just coincidentally ends up at Charlize's 
apartment looking for work. Perfect. I think in a similar twist, she's killed halfway through the movie. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and just like De Niro. And then Charlize has to, like, take on her vengeance. Yeah. So she trains to become an atomic blonde. <laughs> and <laughs> I do see a scene where she finds the dead girl's body and she's we- she's sobbing over it. She's like, why? Okay, that's good. Why? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me not to, like, gravitate toward a trashy plot because that's all I watch and know. No, but that's perfect. I mean, like, make the movie that you want to make that's also somehow going to get an Oscar. Yeah, I think you're on to something with her finding the body, and that can be her Oscar moment of grief. Well, how does the movie end? So she trains to become an atomic blonde. Who kills her? Just random people or somebody we know from the first movie? Oh, the daughter? Yeah. Oleg's daughter. <laughs> oh, whoa. There we go. So she shows up. Yeah. The first daughter shows up in the States, immediately kills Ed Burns. Like, scene two. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. I love that. She gets her revenge. She kills Ed Burns. And then she's like, well, now what? So then she goes and gets a job with Charlize. And then they just, like, become fast friends. Okay, but then Olog's daughter shows up and starts making trouble. She blames... Emil's daughter, for some reason, for her father's death. Just everyone's trying to kill each other. So then she does kill that daughter. And the daughters are played by Rooney and Kate Mara. <laughs> oh, sweet. Even though love they're it. not related in the movie. I love it. Okay, so how does it end? I have to figure out the ending. I think Charlie's. I think they just kind of put their differences aside. And they all. everyone just gets over it. And maybe Oleg's daughter starts to work for Charlize, too. Yeah, so Oleg's daughter, like, she killed the person she was there to kill, and then Charlize, like, wants to kill her because she's mad, but then she's like, you know what? I think this this girl would make a great worker, so I'm just going to hire her instead. And then she becomes the surrogate, surrogate daughter for Charlize. <laughs> it's getting convoluted now. But hey, this movie's convoluted, so it's a perfect sequel to it. Everyone who doesn't die lives very happily. <laughs> Okay, I like it. <laughs> Gets I a like happy a ending. Mike, oh, yes. Okay, we finally got to the final genre that we've never done. It took Uh-oh. six episodes. You need to do a sequel to 15 Minutes in the style of a musical and or competition <gasps> movie. So it can be a traditional musical, but it can also be like a step-up movie. It can be yeah. some kind of musical or dance or whatever element. I think I finally, after all these episodes, have... <laughs> an idea that I might be happy okay, with. Okay, okay. Uh, I've been, because I've been struggling. I feel like I've been struggling. The last two haven't been too bad, but I think I got this. So I also have to go with Charlize and her crew. The cops, now that De Niro's dead, Ed Burns is too much, he, he switched from the fire department to the police department, and he's too much in charge. He's like cracking down on all the whorehouses and stuff like that. So they need to figure out, and there's like a great song about it where he's like kicking down doors and it's sort of like Les Mis, and he's like, I'm coming for you and they're all like oh my gosh we gotta go and it's like the whole nine yards from the beginning and everything and so to like earn money and to stick together as a family all the girls led by Charlize they become like a band and they start performing like underground (laughs) in New York City at like the trashy clubs and they're doing like they're getting better and their genres changing and it turns out they could play like everything so like we have sequences where they're playing like a punk style song and then they're doing like disco and then they're on stage like a um like a big Bubsy Berkeley type thing and so like they they're like earning money and then they have to enter a competition and it takes them sort of like around the world and everything and they become like the uh, it's sort of like pitch perfect but with call girls that's the win at the end they don't win the competition at the end it's sort of like a bad news bears thing but they set up the sequel where it's like they're definitely coming back next time to like kick some ass now do you have a name for your movie because i came up with a great name for it i think i have a terrible name so why don't you lay it on me 15 minutes colon keeping time oh perfect <laughs> we're, we're going with that what was your name that you were going to use quarter after which is a terrible name <laughs> okay. for this type of movie okay. but I like yours because <laughs> it works like it's the time. It's like the fifteen minutes. It's the time, but it's, but it's also, a different sort of yeah. meaning of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. Keeping time is perfect. Yeah, I like that a lot. I have okay. We did this. <laughs> we did this last week on Sweet November. I have sports movie. So fifteen <laughs> minutes to 
with so okay so we're in new york we're in the big apple in spite of that and in spite of like the fame i feel like there's not any interest here in sports shown from any person (laughs) (laughs) because i already forgot does oleg die in this movie or no yeah First, he fakes his death right. for a great shot. Yes. And then kind of comes back, and I think he thinks he's, like, back, but then he actually dies. <laughs> okay. So, 15 minutes to opens with him at the morgue, or him in the ambulance on the way to the morgue, or whatever. Turns out he's not dead. They revived him. Great. We fast forward through all the legal battles of. He gets acquitted of everything for some reason. Because he did the right thing at the the end, even if if it wasn't for his right reasons. And because (laughs) his movie went on to get such acclaim, uh, (laughs) they're like, you're a local celebrity now. So he's like, okay. So now this movie, this sequel is about him trying to come up with a sequel to his movie. And he's like, like, okay, we've done the crime thing. Mm -hmm. He's reading the newspaper. He's listening. You know, the city is a buzz because the Knicks are, like, in the playoffs for the first time in a while. And he's like, oh, I'm going to become a New York Nick. And so he takes his camera and sneaks it into Madison Square Garden and then is doing sort of another found footage. Like, it's the same type of thing, but it's about him training to become a Nick. And the movie somehow... This also gets into, like, a wacky romp film. Uh, The movie gets to a point where he somehow gets onto their bench is in a New York Knicks uniform. He's not part of the team. Like he's not he's in no way officially a part of the team. But he's in uh, he spends the money on like an authentic uniform. The coach, in like a fit of rage, their players keep fouling out. You know, he's frustrated, he's angry, his team is letting him down. Oleg somehow gets called into the game and then has the ball with two seconds left. Knicks down one. He puts it up, cut to black. Oh. We don't know if it goes in or not. Fifteen <laughs> minutes it's all on the line. Does he take the camera onto the court? Oh. You know, if it was more modern, he could do like a GoPro type of situation. The way that I see it is that he has the camera next to him on the bench. He drapes a towel over it so people can't see it's there, but it's still filming (laughs) him. Because I picture him taking it on the court with him okay. and just like throwing it with the ball to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> the ball is midair and then a couple then like a foot behind it the camera is also flying <laughs> on its way toward the hoop. I love that. I mean if he can get onto the court he can also bring a camera onto the court and he can also shoot the camera. Uh, so mm-hmm. I love that. You know it's kind of That like sounds a, like a great poster shot or yes. something. Like I could see. <laughs> yeah. There's no people it's just a hoop it's a ball and a camera. <laughs> oh no no no! It's it's called fifteen minutes crunch time. That's slightly oh. better, but yeah, I think all in all, it's pretty solid round. I I do like these weirdo genres, you know, sports and musical and stuff like that, as opposed to gritty reboot or you know straight to DVD, which I feel like we've done a lot, where it could just be sort of anything. These give a very specific focus to what kind of nonsense we're gonna have to pitch. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe if we just narrow down the genres, like I almost feel like you know if we fix our odds a little better to be getting sci-fi or musical every week instead of the humdrum ones, like the uh, yeah, we might change it up. Reboot straight to DVD stuff. Yeah, maybe we just keep it with the fun ones. Okay, so the last segment on the show, we have the Watch the Throne Awards. So, Austin, at the end of each of our podcasts, we go through and honor the best and the worst of what the podcast has to offer. This time around, we're doing it as the shows happen so we don't forget anything. So what about this movie, good or bad, is enough to be nominated? I'm going to go ahead. You know, we had, like, worst returning director for Cage. I would nominate John Herzfeld here if that happened again. I don't know if that's going to happen again. Is this best of the worst, or is this just worst film? I think it's. I don't think it's best of the worst because of the potential. Okay. I want to say, like you know, like the way, like there's such an easy fix to this yep. to make it a truly like interesting, unique take on crime and fame and stuff like that. But it just with all the cop drama stuff, it just drops the ball so i don't know i i I don't know if i could go that so i'm gonna put it for worst film i'm also gonna nominate it for i liked it i know (laughs) i know you did but that's why i didn't ask you specifically because i knew that you liked this movie Uh, i'm gonna put down for best accent slash voice speaking afrikaans what about this movie otherwise aside from your your trashy movie expertise although we would also you know welcome that 
Um, anything either of you guys think this should be nominated for good or bad? Just most wildly inconsistent tone. I feel like we should have a category like that. Like we've run into it so much where, where it be reindeer games or something, you know, it's one movie and suddenly like it's another scene and it's a completely different tonal movie. And then mm-hmm. the next scene, it's completely different again. It's like, so like, what is happening? So are there other movies aside from, because I think Reindeer Games is another good example. Are there other movies that we've covered, Mike, that would fit into? Let me see here. Cider House, for sure. Yeah. Astronaut's Wife, no. I feel like that's pretty consistent. No, that's more of a best of the worst yeah. I think we have that nominated for. <laughs> I think that's just, it's just those three. That's it. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I do like that category, though, a lot. Good, good one, Austin. Best unnecessary 90s video effects. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I feel like... Not going to come up again. (laughs) Exactly. And also, if it does come up again, I mean, this is going to be the hands-down winner. So she doesn't die. She doesn't get naked, which is good. I do want to say, though, that the the quote-unquote Czech girl that they sent over gets naked in the fastest way I've ever seen. Like, you know, (laughs) I'm sure she's just all down to business or whatever, but, like, I've obviously never paid for an escort, but isn't there probably some kind of fun, like, you get to undress her? She's just, like, even before she gets paid, she's, like, dress off, bra off, pants down it's just like right what, like, what? yeah they're not settled yet like there's something right. clearly wrong like he's still like not happy or he's like asking her questions and she's taking her clothes off before it's even clear like what's gonna happen it was weird it was super weird i don't think there's any actors in this movie good or bad enough to be nominated either way i mean i think oleg and emil give incredible performances so we have a love triangle category if only somehow they were wrapped up in an affair or is the love triangle them and fame Ooh. oh i don't know if i want to nominate yeah i mean i kind of of like (laughs) i don't know if it fits necessarily i wasn't sure if we were gonna maybe do like a dynamic duo category because i know Charlize is gonna have like you know in monster it's her and christina ricci they're kind of a dynamic duo in that we have kramer and jeff daniels like I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out. I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just, I'm just talking out loud, but I'm just thinking out loud. But uh, I like the idea of it, but I think it needs to sort of be narrowed down to either Charlize duos or non-Charlize duos. Because I feel like there's there's so mm-hmm. many different movies that that could fall under. And yeah, as much yeah. as I want to honor Oleg and Emil, <laughs> I don't know if we necessarily can. Best spit fight? When Emil and De Niro keep spitting back and forth at each other. So we have best fight. We have the we Terry Hatcher hotel room fight. fight. And then we have the staircase fight in Atomic Blonde. Oh, for best fight, I l- fucking loved his chair fight. Okay. Robert De Niro's chair fight. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we have an email address here on the show, watch at cageclub.me. Email us if you think, if you watch this movie, it's on Cinemax On Demand. You can do a seven-day free trial on Amazon if you have Prime, or if you pay for Cinemax, you can get it there. Uh, If you watch this movie, let us know if we missed any categories. I feel like, Mike, this is the kind of movie that Mike Flynn would love, unnecessarily so, but like he would, (laughs) unlike Austin, who sees it as trash but admires the trash, I feel like Mike would be like, no, 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 this is actually a good movie. Like It would be a different kind of like head-shaking experience we would have there. Like I feel like this is like right in his wheelhouse. I wonder if he's seen Mm -hmm. it. I don't know if he listens to these podcasts or not, but Mike, if you're out there listening, uh, let us know what you think of 15 Minutes. Or, you know, let us think, let us know what you think of the re- uh, the, the, the remake games or past episodes yeah. or whatever. Next week, mm-hmm. we have a return to Woody. We're finally getting another Woody. We're getting the Curse oh, of the Jade no. Scorpion. <laughs> oh, well. I've never seen it. Don't tell me anything about it. All I know is it cannot be as bad as Celebrity. I've seen it once, and I don't remember very much. Okay, well, that is not a good sign. Let me think. Oh, I remember this one. Okay, okay, never mind. I know this one. That's all I'm going to say. Know, even average movies <laughs> are above average for Charlize at this point because she's been in such rough films so far that yeah. it's, it's sort of disappointing. But anyway, Austin, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sorry that we, thank we you didn't find you when we were doing Cage or Keanu for those films. Maybe, you know, we can be back in touch well, down with the line. new stuff coming out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to talk about a Cage film. Sure. Thank you for swinging by and talking about Charlize in this movie that Charlize is barely in. But, you know, sometimes (laughs) it's how it shakes out. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. So for all things Watch the Throne, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. Again, email address watch at cageclub.me. 
let us know what you think of the episode of the show whatever her movies future movies anything we will read it on air cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub at cageclubpod on twitter tomorrow is st patrick's day so happy st patrick's day to any of you who celebrate that drink responsibly do we have any st patrick's day movies in our i guess there's not too many st patrick's day movies are there any st patrick's day movies well there's a leprechaun leprechaun six yeah if we ever do jennifer aniston we can do leprechaun one i don't think we're ever gonna do jennifer aniston because we're gonna do we're gonna have 200 <laughs> episodes about friends so you should do a oh, warwick right. davis podcast <laughs> oh willow but we'd finally talk about the star wars movies but through the context of <laughs> warwick davis only <laughs> like we'd have to just bypass all that other oh, stuff Oh boy okay i think there's i think there's better entry points into the star wars universe than uh warwick davis but i also kind of love it like you <laughs> no, know, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do a peter mayhew podcast <laughs> but anyway i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and that was austin wolf southern and we'll see you next time on watch the throne It was all